Okay, so we started this series talking about sustainable growth. How do we grow in life and how do we continue to grow? Because there are things that tend to uh, knock us down or prevent our growth, and one of them is discouragement, isn't it? I mean, at some point, you're gonna run into discouragement. Some point, you know, the circumstances of life go against you. Uh, people in life go against you. Uh, the plans that you made just, they don't work out, and you just get discouraged in life. About three weeks ago when I started working on this message, um, ahead of time in more detail, I, I'm not a, a person that experiences a lot of uh, getting down. I, I, I don't know why, uh, but I've just never been down very much. In fact, it reminded me that Tim LaHaye, one time he wrote a book uh, on depression. And as he admitted when he started writing the, writing the book, he said, you know, I've never really been depressed until I started writing this book. And then he said, then I went through deep, deep, deep depression and had to go to counseling and I had to get someone to help me over it. And so just to let you know, about three weeks ago and I started working on this one, all of a sudden I just got down, I did. And I couldn't figure out why, you know, usually it's because I've, I've not been eating as well as I should or maybe not getting uh, as much exercise uh, as I should. Or in this case, I think the, one of the contributing factors was for some reason, I wasn't drinking as much water as I should, and uh, I was drinking more coffee. And how could coffee, you know, bring you down or not? You know, that's, that's probably why I was drinking more coffee. And so I just, I just struggled with it. And when you do, you know, it, it just sort of changes your, your outlook about life. Remember Carol King's song? Anybody remember Carol King saying this song? It says, uh, sometimes you win, sometimes you Okay, you remember, okay, help me with it. And sometimes the blues get the better of you. I'm wondering if you have made it. Where's my backup? I mean, we need some <laughs> all around. Okay, so you remember, and that song kept coming to my mind when she sang that, and I thought, yeah, I mean, you, as you go through life, sometimes it just feels like, mm, you know, what's going on? And, and how is this gonna work? And can I get over the things that, you know, that discourage me? Because they're always there. There's always something that pops up and it fights against you and you struggle with it. You know, so here's what, here's what the Bible is clear about. And I love this. You know, it's just one of the things I really love about who God is. Here's what it's clear about. God sees your discouragement. He does. God knows when you struggle. He knows when you're down. He knows when it's difficult. And it's one of the things, I hope that you understand this, when you go and you talk to God and you pray, you can tell God what you're going through and what you're feeling. And even if you don't know why, that's okay. Because God sees it, uh, God understands, uh, God you know, wants those who love him and that he has impressed upon them his love, he wants them to come to him and say, I'm struggling, I'm having a difficult time. So about a week ago, uh, in my prayer time in the morning, I'm, I'm on my knees, and I just said, God, I am just struggling, you know? And I don't know why, I, I can't pinpoint it, I don't know how to fix it, I don't know what I should be doing differently. Now, I'll tell you this, and I think this happens sometimes, it made me seek God more. It gave me a, a stronger passion to seek God because of my struggles, my difficulties. But here's the other thing that, that you wanna hang on, not only does God See your, your discouragement. God can see what? Through your discouragement. Sure he can. God sees through your discouragement. God does have a way to get you through it 
and for you to come out on the, on the other side a better person and to continue uh, growth in your life. I love this. Jesus said, just find this in Matthew's gospel. Jesus said this. You probably know the verse. He says, look, in this, in this world you will have what? Troubles. Is that discouraging? Yeah, just saying it. I was like, Jesus, why did you say that? Why didn't you say, in this world, everything will go your way, you know? If you become a Christian, you will never have any troubles or any struggles and, you know, no. Jesus said, in this world, you have, you have troubles in this world. But then he says, I like this, he says, but take courage. That's a great phrase, isn't it? In other words, it's there, he's gonna offer you something, take courage, and do you remember what he said, why you should take courage? Take courage because what? I have overcome the world. Yes. So everything that you're going to go against, everything that's going to discourage you and cause you to feel like I can't make it and, you know, I need to be like Carol King and go build a house in the country and, you know, and just kind of hide away and get away and run away from everything. You know, everything that, that causes me to feel that way, he has overcome those things. He has, he has changed it. And I don't know if you, if you always believe that or you always feel confident of that. I know I don't, but that's what he tells us so that we would uh, not be discouraged. And in, in this series, we've been talking about kind of going through some steps, um, and I did put them in your outline. They will pop up there. There they are. That's why we align ourselves with him. Remember the Lord's Prayer? We talked about that it's, it's the prayer he teaches us to show why we need to be aligned with him. The prayer goes what? Our Father who art in heaven. Not the omnipotent God of all power in the universe. Our, there's a closeness because of what Jesus has done for us. He's actually our father. He's watching after his sons and his daughters. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Lifted up, separated from all other names is your name because of who you are. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on what? Earth. Yeah, Come down here, <laughs> help me. I'm struggling, it's difficult. And of course, he sent his son because of that. On earth as it is in heaven. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. We need things. God, we understand that you know them. You give us the things that we need, even in the midst of our discouragement. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our, okay, I'm, again, I'm checking up on where you were raised. You know, your trespasses or your debts or your sins, depending on you know, what you were taught how to, pray that prayer, forgive us those things as we forgive, notice this, as we forgive those who are our debtors or trespass against us, who have sinned against us. Isn't that interesting? You know, at one point, Jesus, remember we were telling the story about uh, how Jesus, the man's Lord through the roof, and, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And in this case, he's accused of blasphemy because Jesus is doing something only God can do. And, and they understood that's what Jesus was saying. That's not what it, the prayer is about. When he says, forgive us our sins as we forgive others, this is different. This is God. You have forgiven us, so therefore let us forgive other people. We can do that part. They've sinned against us. They've injured us. They've hurt us. We can forgive them. And, and there's something freeing about that, forgiving someone else. I know even saying that, you might, there might be a kind of a, a, a tinge that goes on in your, in your heart a little bit, maybe in your gut, because maybe you're here and you say, oh yeah, but not my, you know, not my cousin. <laughs> 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 not, 
not the guy that works you know, near me or not the lady that's my neighbor. Yeah, that, that's the struggle that we have in real life is actually offering forgiveness. How, how can I do that? Listen, here's how you can do that. Because God has given you forgiveness. He's offered it to you. And one day in the future, tomorrow, the next week, the next day, you will need more what? Forgiveness, right? So will your neighbor. So will the person who's offended you. So will the person that, that you struggle with. They will need more forgiveness also. And God, in his strength, in Jesus' overcoming, has given us the power to forgive. I know it's hard, but he's given us the power to forgive as we, as we look to him. Here's the struggle. If you don't do that, if you can't turn to him and say, Lord, I, it's really hard for me. Will you give me the strength? Will you help me? It will hold you back from growing. It will. You have to let go of it. My son would say this when you come into, he, I don't know if he's in this service or not, but he'll say when you come in to worship, and you look to God and you want to worship God as who he is, he would say, Dad, you just have to leave your stuff at the door. And I know exactly what he's saying, right? You want to bring it in here. You want to, you know, still wrestle with it. You want God to fix things the way you want to, you know, you're holding on to these things. And he says, you know, you just got to leave that at the door. You can't bring it in here because it will hold you back. You won't get anything out of this time. And you won't offer anything in this time if you bring your stuff in and you're still holding on to those struggles that you have. Forgive us our debts, our struggles, our, our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Oh, and lead us not into temptation. The temptation means to turn away from God. He says, but instead, deliver us from evil. Yeah, that's exactly what we should pray. There's this alignment that you and I should have in life. But the second thing, is it still up there? Thanks, is you need to position your life. We talked about this the second week. Put yourself in a position where you can grow in your faith. It's important for you. In fact, there are a lot of ways you can do that. You can be a part of, Joe mentioned small groups are coming up again, new small groups. Be a part of, a, I'm, and Saturday morning I get to go to the end of a men's Bible study and uh, get a chance to, to uh, talk with those guys and pray with those guys. Um, you can come and be a part of a, a class that studies together, maybe a women's Bible study. There are a lot of opportunities for you to put yourself in a position where you get to hear about other people's faith, what they're going through, how they're growing, and your faith will grow. If you don't put yourself in that position, then you just eliminate the opportunity. The third thing we talked about was um, you need to stretch your faith, learn how to stretch your faith, into the doing part, into the actions. Now, your actions don't save you. Your actions don't rescue you. But, but your actions, when your faith moves into action, reminds you and it encourages you that, hey, this faith thing is actually working. You know, some changes are coming in my heart, in my life, and they're, they're working their way out in the things that I, that I do in life. And I can see some of those things happening and I realized that, uh, that it must mean that God is faithful. And then the, the fourth thing we talked about is you need to see your struggles differently. Because we tend to look at our struggles and say they're all bad. A lot of them are not good. That's why we call them struggles. But God has, in, has reasons for them. And God will use them in your life, not only to strengthen you. Sometimes he'll use your struggles to strengthen someone else. Because you can relate to exactly um, what those people are going through also. So here's what I want to do. I want to take you through um, the entire book of 2 Corinthians. 
Okay, I'm kidding. I was just, somebody's gonna like, what, what are you? I'm not gonna go through the whole book. But if you remember uh, this summer, this past summer, we looked at 1 Corinthians, uh, the letter that Paul wrote, and he goes to a lot of, uh, of the struggles that, that you know, they, were, they had. And uh, the first part of when we did it, we called it leave it at the door because there are a lot of things he said, oh, I, said I know how it is out there, but don't bring that in here because it doesn't help us. And, and uh, so it, it, he wrote, wrote another letter. Actually, he wrote, best we can tell, four letters. We have, we have two of them. Maybe we have three uh, of them. And he wrote another letter back to the Corinthians. And it's really interesting. Let me set this letter up, 2 Corinthians. Um, there was a person in the Corinthian church, I mean, there were a lot of people that opposed Paul and struggled with him, but apparently there was someone who was kind of the leader of the pack and did great harm to Paul and everything that he taught the Corinthians, fought against him on it, but as best we can tell and as best Paul sort of communicates, he was a brother, he was a believer. He was just one of those people that, you know, I, who knows why, but, it, but he caused Paul a lot of pain and a lot of struggles, and you might think that when Paul wins the day, because eventually the Corinthians realize Paul is the guy we want to listen to and follow what he teaches, you, you might think, well, then that means oust him, get rid of him. He is cast into the wilderness or something like that. But Paul actually has a different approach. And in the first chapter that we won't go through, uh, Paul had talking about, I promised that I would come back and see you guys, but I haven't done it yet. But he says, I, I, I couldn't. Things changed. And uh, I actually think he kind of goes on with a little bit of language that's really fun for me when, he, when you know, people say, let your yes be yes and your no be yes. So if you say you're going to do it, but, but Paul's actually kind of admitting, yeah, I said yes, I'm coming, but I couldn't. <laughs> and that's okay, you know, because uh, Jesus had other plans for me, and so I went in a different direction. But he, but he also, he writes this part of the letter back because he wants them to understand something about that person. And this, this is uh, really good. Here's what he says. This is beginning in verse number one of chapter two. He says this. I know if you looked at your outline, don't panic. I'm gonna read fast. Here's what he says. So I decided that I would not bring you grief with another painful visit. For, I ca uh, for if I cause you grief, who will make me glad? Certainly not someone I have grieved, that is why I wrote to you as I did, so that when I do come, I won't be grieved by the very ones who ought to give me the greatest joy, the, the people in Corinth. He says, surely you all know that my joy comes from your being what? Yeah, that, that's why he's brought the gospel to them, so that they would have this joy in who God is and what Christ has done. And so he doesn't want to heap any more grief upon them uh, at, because of that, that guy and the struggles that went on. I mean, it was painful enough all that they went through. He says, I wrote that letter in great anguish with a troubled heart and many tears. I didn't want to grieve you, but I wanted to let you know how much uh, I have love for you. And in verse five, he says this, I'm not overstating it when I say that the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. In other words, the damage that was done that was Paul's great struggle because of, of the damage he'd done to them. He says, most of you opposed him, and that was punishment enough. Say that with me again. That was, that was punishment enough, that he had to suffer through that. He says, now, however, it is time to, what? Forgive and to, wow. I mean, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? That Paul would say, now is the time to take that same person who opposed me, who went after me, did you great pain and, and grief, 
and to forgive him and to comfort him. That, that's where we are. And again, it's because of Paul, how he understands what Jesus did for him. Because if you remember Paul's life, I mean, he persecuted and did so much damage before he understood who Jesus was and before he became a follower of Jesus Christ. He says, otherwise, he may be overcome by, here we go, what is that word? Discouragement. If, if you don't forgive him, if you don't try to comfort him, he might be overcome by discouragement. He, he may run away, he may go hide somewhere um, because of how he feels and how he feels that everyone uh, looks at him. He says, so I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. Not Paul, I, I urge you to reaffirm your love for, for him, this man. So a couple things that, that he, this is what he also says in the uh, second chapter. First of all, he reminds us that Christ leads us into triumph. This is the motivation for why you should do that. This is what he says in verse 14. But thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us uh, along Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Now I know you may think, well, that's kind of strange. He's made us his captive. So there, here's the picture for them with the Romans. When the Romans would go out and they would win a battle, they would come back in and the conquering general would march his armies along with the captives of the people that they had defeated in chains who were now slaves to the Romans and they would bring them in. He's using that illustration that they would see to illustrate something else. That what Jesus has done is that Jesus has freed us and in that sense, what Paul is saying is we are captivated by him. We, we belong to him. And so we are marching in just like that processional. The difference is we are, we are marching in in triumph because of what Christ himself has done. That, that's part of our strength, who we are. That Jesus has led us to a different way of life, a different way of overcoming of, of conquering, not the way the Romans would do it with soldiers. This is a conquering and a changing of hearts, right? How do you change someone's heart? How are you gonna win them? Well, well, Jesus did it with us because of his forgiveness. Jesus is, you know, can do anything he wants. I mean, if, if he wants to, to wipe the earth clean, you know, he has the power to do anything he wants. But instead of doing that, he offered his own life for us. That's what Paul talks about in Philippians. And, and that has broken our heart. The God who could destroy us if he wanted to, whom we have separated ourselves from him because of our own sin, we go our own way. This is what he writes in Romans, and, and there's a penalty for that. But rather than enforcing that penalty, he has offered his son as a rescuer for us. So the, the processional that we walk into in town or here in Corinth, is a triumphant procession because of what Christ has done for us. That's the first part. Then the second part, look in chapter uh, number three. This is what he says beginning in verse number four. He says, we are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything our own. Our qualifications come from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of his New covenant. This is a covenant not written, uh, not of written laws, but of the, say it with me, but what? Of the, 
Yeah, see, the, I mean, the written laws would be like, here are the rules, you shouldn't do this, you should do this. This is something where God has purposefully come to try to impress something on us, on the inside. And even Jesus has given us his spirit to lead us on the inside. And he is transforming us on the inside. He's changing the way we see others, the way we even see our hurts and our pains and the things that we um, go through. He's changing us on the inside of the spirit. He says the old written covenant ends in what? Yeah, because you can't obey. You can't get through all the laws. You will be condemned by the laws. Now, the, now the law had provision. You, you would offer a sacrifice. You would go and take one of your lambs or something, and you would sacrifice it to God. But it wasn't, and this is, this is New Testament so strongly, it, it wasn't that the sacrifice of the animal actually absolved you from the sin. It was to show the penalty of it and the severity of it. And actually, it was a pointer to the day that Jesus would, be, would come, and I don't know if you remember, but John the Baptist, when he comes down to be baptized, looks and says, look, the Lamb of God. That's what he was referring to. The sacrifice that God has sent who would take away the sins of man. All the Old Testament provisions and all that they went through were a pointer to who Jesus was. And somebody may ask, well, then how were the people in the Old Testament saved? It, it's wrong to say that they were saved by the law. It is, because the law does not save you. The law points out your sin. It points out the need you have for a rescuer. But they were saved. If you go back all the way to Abraham, he talks about they were saved by their faith, same way you and I were saved. It's just they didn't know what Jesus would look like exactly and how he would do things. You and I, on the other side of that covenant, we saw him, you know, in a sense. We look back and we see what he did, what he said. Man, it, it, it makes all the difference because we're on this side of it. But we're still saved the same way they were saved, by their faith in God's uh, provision. Um, he says, uh, the old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives what? Life. Yeah, we're glad about that. He gives life. And then if you jump down to verse 18, he says, so all of us have had that veil removed so we, we can see and reflect the glory of God. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, he's not... He's saying, you know, there's Trinity in there, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious what? Yeah, so he's changing us. He's even now reshaping us. The more we understand, closer we get to him, his word, it, it, it makes an impact on our lives. The Holy Spirit takes the word, the things that, that we read, the gospel itself, and he applies it to us and he is reshaping our lives, isn't he? See if I can do this again. So Paul, he, he, he throws out at one point in Galatians, he says, for the fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit produces in us is, I'll probably mess it up again. You help me with this, right? Nine things. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In the New Testament, the only proof that you and I belong to Jesus is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's what the New Testament says. He is the down payment on the future. He is our seal. He is the one who marks us as one of his. And he is the one who produces something in our hearts when we look to him and we say, I am struggling and this is difficult. And he builds something different in our lives 
a, a fruit is produced out of our life that comes from him. And if you, if you, you, you look at those nine things, none of those are bad, right? All of us said, yeah. I, I would love to have more love. Man, I would just feel so much better in my, in my life if I've had more love and more joy, more peace. If I had more, pa- well, not patience. I don't want to be patient, but you know, if I had more, okay, patience and kindness, wow. Because you know that's not naturally what you develop in life. You develop the opposite in life. Patience and kindness and goodness. So where would that come from? Well, that's something that he wants to produce in us if we will yield ourselves to him and say, okay, I, I can't do this. You'll have to do this if that's what you want. And he loves to do this and more more self, I love that, that, that final one too, more self-control in us. I, I like to remind people, even though God is the one who does it and spirit does it, he actually is not saying more God control. He's actually saying, I will give you the power to have more self-control where you can do what you know you should do, not necessarily what you feel like doing. That, that's incredible because most of us would say, if I just had more self-control. I talk to people all the time when I, when I have a chance to uh, uh, counsel and, and listen to the things they go through, and they say, yeah, I just shouldn't have said that. Okay. I just shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Or here, I should have done that. Okay, I understand. And, and we realize there's this weakness inside of us that the Holy Spirit actually wants to come and give us something that we don't have in and of ourselves so that someone would look at your life and say, something weird about him, right? She does some strange, I wouldn't have done it that way. And in and, and doing that, it points to his life inside of us, his changes. The only way that happens is if we give ourselves to him and we just say, hey, listen, I can't produce it myself. Can you produce it? And we put ourselves in a position where our faith can continue to grow. Like we said the second week, remind you, Jesus is the object of our faith. But Jesus is also the source of our faith. That may sound strange. Why is he the object and the source? He just is. It's because of what he did and what he initiated and what he started that we actually do put our hope and our trust uh, in him. So here, here we go in chapter number four. And yes, I mean chapter number uh, yeah, four. And I admit I'm going to go through the whole thing. So hold on. Because this is so encouraging. He set it all up talking about this guy. He, may, he has made a turn in his letter. He'll come back later and go back to his original subject, but he's gotten real fired up, as I do too. Here's, here's his topic, and he wants to go over, and this is what he says. Here he goes. Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this, say it with me, this what? New way. Okay, it's a new way to approach life. We never give up. Wow. We never quit. Because he has given us a new way. It's not that we figured it out or we had to say, I think I've got it right. It's, it's we're looking to him for this way. He says, we reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God. And all who are honest, they know this, that we're honest about it. We're truthful about it. We don't blow it up into something that it's not. We don't try to twist it. We just, we just tell what God himself has done. Verse three, if the good news we preach is hidden behind a, say this word with me, a veil. Okay, so the veil, and he referred to another chapter uh, also, there, there's this reference to Moses. And uh, if you remember when Moses would go and meet with God, he would come down from the mountain 
And it's still kind of debated, why is it that Moses would veil his face? He would cover his face, and it says so that they would not see the glory of God that was fading from him. Now, is that because of how sinful they were? Is that because he didn't want them to die? We don't know exactly. But Moses, it said, would actually veil his face. I don't know if it looked like he had a sunburn. Uh, my hair used to be red. I used to tell people it's because your hair is red. And uh, that's supposed to be funny. Okay, so uh, it faded. And uh, I should wear a veil to make sure that you can't see that it fades. We don't know what it was. But Moses would veil his face when he come down to the people because he didn't want them to see that this glory that he'd experienced and what being, being close to God was, was fading away. However, there's also a veil that's talked about with the temple. Do you remember what that is? In between the Holy of Holies where it represented the presence of God and the outside part where the people were, there's a gigantic veil. It's like a curtain like this. And, and therefore, they couldn't see inside. Only the priest who would go in and make the offerings would, would see or have any experience. And that veil, when Jesus dies on the cross and he gives his life, before he is resurrected, it says, uh, was it physical in the temple? Was it symbolic? Don't know, but it says, it's, it's very pointed language, and the veil was what? Ripped in two. What? Yeah. From the top to the bottom, the veil is ripped in two. That means God has made himself known. And we can approach God boldly, as Paul says, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. You're not separated anymore. You don't need a preacher to go to God. <laughs> you've got the greatest power. If you're a believer, you've got the greatest power available for you, the Spirit of God who wants to live inside of you. Why would you need a preacher? Now, I just get a chance to stand up and talk. You're right, but I'm like you. I'm a person who approaches God because of what Jesus Christ did for me. He's my high priest who has approached uh, the Father and drawn me there, and he is sinless. I don't have to worry about anything that he does. You have to worry about what I do, just to let you know, because I'm like you. I'm a person just like you. I have friends that they always will tell me God speaks to them, and uh, I, I say, I believe that God speaks to me. I don't hear audibly, but it's one of the things that I love to say. I say most of the time, you know, you'll be saying something to me in a conversation, and I'll think of something to say that's kind of funny and kind of a quip. And, and most of the time, I say, God speaks to me all the time. He says, I don't say that. Just let you know, that's what he does. He says, ah, I don't, okay, okay, but I want to. I want to, you know, I just want to make some comment or some kind of jab. He goes, no, nah, I don't do that, you know, so, uh, right, because we're flawed. We're flawed. You, we need flawed people so that we can realize God accepts flawed people. It's the only kind he accepts because it's the only kind there are. We're not like Jesus. Jesus has, has brought us to this uh, relationship. And so he's saying, and, that, and hopefully this will make sense, if the gospel, the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, if there's something blocking it, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. In other words, they don't get it. They just, they just don't see it. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded their minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news, what we're talking about. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. Isn't that interesting? Paul didn't say, you know, go around. I mean, he talked about himself at times, but it, it, he's not the answer for people. 
Christ is the answer. He says, we preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are his servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. I I like the the translation I like is, we are like cracked pots, right? You a cracked pot? Yeah, you're pretty all right, I am too. We're, We're these vessels that, that we like to think of ourselves and we like to paint the vessel and work on the vessel you know, and shape up the vessel, do everything we can to make our vessel, our life look so wonderful and so, you know, but the problem is we're crackpots. <laughs> you know, and, and he has designed it that way. You know one of the wonderful things about crackpots, which you are also, when the light comes to live in, in you, guess what happens with the cracks? They leak light. <laughs> It's designed that way. Through your life, through your flaws, through my my flaws, my struggles, that something of who Jesus is, something of what the Holy Spirit wants to do inside of us, something of what uh, his word has planted inside of us, it just leaks out so that other people could uh, see um, who he is. So he says, um, this makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by, say it with me, troubles. Okay, let me try it again. We are pressed on every side by, okay. Oh, don't get mad at me. I'm just, okay. We are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down. They were, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our cracked pots, right? In our bodies that are deteriorating. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for who? It leaked out. (laughs) People in Corinth picked it up. Some of them got it. They, they found life because of Paul and, and uh, all these other, their, their flaws in life uh, also. He says in verse 13, but we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had, had when he said, I believe in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise who? Us. Talked about in the first letter also will raise us uh, with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving. And God will receive more and more glory. So he finishes this chapter by saying, that is why we never give up. Again, he goes back to it. We just don't give up, we don't quit. Though our bodies are dying, Our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. I know that you may think, oh, you don't know mine. Mine, I keep going on. No, in in light of 
the life that God has for us, it's tiny. In fact, I, I honestly believe, I will do this, I think you will do this too. You will look back at times in your life and you'll say, why was I fretting over that? In fact, you've probably done that before, right? I've talked to people before and they, they fret and they fret and then later they go, why did that bother me so much? Yeah, well, just kind of who we are. We usually live just in the moment and we don't realize that God has more for us and he does. This is just short and, and, a, and a, a small thing. He says, uh, they won't last very long yet. They produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last how long? Forever, yeah. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last, how long? Forever. Totally different, right? I know you may think, uh, well, that's great. I like to hear that. But, you know, when I go home today and my team loses in the Super Bowl or, you know, Maybe you're like me. You're, you're, I do know who's playing the Super Bowl, but I may not have a team to pull for. You know, it, it, yeah, you're going to run into troubles again. As soon as you get on the road, someone's going to cut you off in traffic. Uh, you're going to pull up to Chick-fil-A as I did last Sunday and then realize it's not open on Sunday. And what is wrong with these people? You know, there's going to be something that just discourages you and causes you to say, what? You know, God, can't you fix everything? He has. He has. He's fixed a future for you. He's fixed a hope that is bigger and better than this life that you're living. And one day you'll look back at this life and you won't ask the questions, God, why did someone else have more than I have? Why did their life seem better? You will look back and say, wow, God took me through that. And look at what he has done for me and what God has given me. That'll be an entirely different message, an entirely di different picture uh, for you. I know people always ask, tell me, they say, I can't wait to see God and ask him, and they're mad about something. I said, you don't understand God real well, do you? Because the day you see God, you're going to say, what were those questions? I don't know. I don't know what those questions were. All of it will seem like, why was I so worried about that? Why was that such a big deal? I know it is a big deal. I know you're going through things that are a big deal. I, I, listen, I completely understand that. I'm just telling you the day will come when you will say, it wasn't a big deal. Just look what God has, has given me and what God has done for me. And the light that you allow God to shine in you gets a chance to leak out maybe to someone else so that they could see a hope that they need also. Jesus gathered his disciples together. If you have this to celebrate communion, if online, if you want to quit, go get a bagel. It'll be better than this wafer or something, you know, and a cup of coffee to go with it. Uh, so uh, Jesus gathered with his disciples. Why? Because he knew that it was coming, the days were coming right upon them where they would think it's lost, it's over. We didn't win. We backed the wrong team. You know, what were we thinking? It, and they would go back and they would do what people do when they, when they find themselves in discouragement and despair. They would go hide away in a room. They did. In fact, when, when he was resurrected, one of the uh, Marys comes back to the, and knocks on the door and says he's risen. And they, they're kind of excited right around. They don't even unlock the door for her. I'm like, hey, what about, you know, but that's just what we do sometimes. We just get so caught up in the moment and it's hard to believe that 
that in the midst of our despair, God has something better, something wonderful. And that's why Jesus did this. So in the midst of their struggles, they could look back at Passover when they left Egypt and remember that no matter how bad it seemed, no matter how bad it was, God had a promise for them. He had things in the future for them. Listen, he has them for you. He has a hope for you. He has something that will become a reality, and when it becomes a reality, there'll be a day where the other stuff, you'll just go, you know, why was I so worried about that? Take courage. Take courage. He has conquered and overcome the world. So he took the bread of Passover. He gave it a new meaning. He said, this bread is going to represent something different than when, it, when, when they were coming out of Egypt. This bread is going to represent my body, and he would snap the bread that is broken. His suffering, his sacrifice, his taking our sins upon himself because we could not take those sins. They would destroy us. So he took our sins upon himself. He gave us his righteousness and his life. He taught his disciples, he said, this is the bread that came out of heaven. It's not like your fathers ate and died. He said, he who eats this bread will live forever. And then at the end of the meal, as was tradition, uh, he took the cup and he gave the cup a new meaning, the wine in the cup a brand new meaning. He said, this is the blood of a, a new covenant that he was about to shed. And this blood is poured out for your life and for your living. One of my favorite stories, if you've been here, you've heard me say this before, I had a friend, he's passed away now, but years ago he had a form of uh, bone cancer and leukemia, and uh, he got a bone marrow transplant from his sister, and I loved it. He, he said, the one thing that's really weird about it is I used to be A negative, but when I got her bone marrow, I became O positive. And everything in my body that flows through my body is different than it was before. And I thought, wow. Because that's what happens with Jesus with us. He comes to live inside of us. He makes change. We still look the same on the outside, yeah. But there's a new life that is flowing in our veins, in our heart. The Holy Spirit has come to renew us and strengthen us. So that even as Paul says, on the outside, we are falling apart. Yeah, we are. We're trying to hold on. But on the inside, we're being renewed. We're being in a new life, a new strength, and we're moving to something grand and glorious. John, who was uh, the closest to Jesus, he would write in his latter years of life, he would say, if we walk in the light, as he himself, meaning Jesus, is in the light, he said, then we, we have a new relationship with God and a new relationship with one another. And the blood of his son cleanses us from all our sins. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Your plans were so much better than ours. It just blows us away because we, we think we can come up with the very best thing ever for our life. And then we see what you've done. And in the midst of our discouragement, our disappointments, the hurt and pain that we feel, you come and you bring healing, you bring strength, and you bring, you bring health so that we would approach life in a totally different way, even now, even here, because we know what you have done for us. If you're here and you've never opened your, your life to Jesus Christ, you never trusted him, 
that God sent him into this world to live the same life that you go through with the same struggles, same difficulties, only Jesus would purposefully live a sinless life so that he could offer his life for you. So that in his death, you would receive life. You would receive forgiveness, strength, a new attitude, a new joy about what is coming in the future. You can say, Lord Jesus, I trust you. I believe that you are the Son of God. What the Bible says about you is, is true and that you have changed everything for me. Forgive me my sins. Lead me in a different way. Fill me with a new life with your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.